Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj Kalia. It is April 4th, 2023. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday. Nice weather out, out there, so hope you all enjoying some of that sunlight and shine. As always, thank you for listening in um, and checking out my episodes that I've been able to do. Obviously, I know they haven't been all... There haven't been been an abundance of episodes, but I hope to turn the clock or turn the corner on that at some point. Uh, Kind of in a stump right now, (laughs) or a funk if you'd say. Um, But yeah, good to be back Uh, with another episode. Obviously, a lot going on in the world of sports, as always. You know, the never-ending cycle of storylines about teams and players, and uh, you know team building and resources there's always a lot going around in sports obviously but they ever changing stuff with rules and with you know teams under investigation or you know a little bit of friction here and there from like other type of situations so I'm going to kind of get into some of that most likely um and you know uh go from there but I guess where I'll start today's episode off is kind of going into what we saw in March Madness as both men's and women's college basketball season is now over. Uh, March Madness is officially over and obviously uh, a fitting end to the season, obviously with two teams that definitely expectations weren't um, extremely high at the beginning of the season, but through their journeys, through their uh, you know, through their coaches, through their teams, and throughout the season, these teams prove what they could do, and there's that. So, let me start with the women's college basketball March Madness uh, national title game. Uh, LSU uh, captured their first title uh, in women's men's college uh, women's uh, college basketball history. This is the first um, for. Uh, I think LSU, in terms of the basketball programs, this is the first uh, first title, um, and that's pretty remarkable. Uh, it was led, obviously, by the Hall of Fame coach and Kim Mulkey, uh, who obviously is one of the great coaches um, in women's college basketball, and she now, I think, with this title win, she earns her fourth national championship. Um, you know, her, her fourth national championship, and you know, LSU won obviously 102 to 85 over Iowa. Um, we saw a lot of great things in this women's March Madness tournament, obviously, with the expanded bracket and with teams. You saw a lot of different things that we never saw. You saw some upsets. I mean, South Carolina going down was a huge surprise to me. Gotta give props to, um, what we saw, you know, in terms of uh, Iowa being able to knock them out, I believe. Obviously, Caitlin Clark and Angel. Jesse, I think, Angela Reese. Um, obviously, that trash-talking uh, mentality came into play a little bit in this women's college basketball tournament, which you'd like to see. Um, and I think the comments and things that were said by both players were appropriate and fair. I think obviously people criticizing one thing or another should should not be doing the head, you know, just kind of one of those things where you saw great college basketball played between, you know, two teams throughout a bunch of teams. And you want to see players show emotion and play well. 
And both teams showed out. They showed out and, and had a great season. LSU was just a little bit better. They obviously got, uh, you know, a good amount of contribution from not only Reese, but other stars as well. They shot 11 of 17, I think, from the three-point line. One of two, I think 102 points were the most, I think, scored ever in a national champion game by a team. So, I mean, you just saw it. You know, LSU really had, um, they had an interesting season. You know, they started off with a, a number of wins and they kind of then went into a, a mode of where they were, you know, a little bit off, and then you saw them kind of turn on the page, turn the page quickly, and Kim, um, lucky with her head coaching experience in year two of coming back to her home state, being able to capture the title, uh, it was pretty remarkable, and obviously you could see the emotions and tears in her after the game, her comments, uh, it was pretty special to see how she was able to get it done, uh, this team get it done overall. Obviously, you know, we've been so used to seeing South Carolina and UConn uh, among, uh, you know, Stanford winning championships uh, in March Madness. But for the first time, we got, uh, you know, a school that, you know, has been pretty... LSU's been dominant, obviously, in, in, you know, in terms of, like, football. They've been good in that aspect. Um, the men's one kind of work in progress. The women's one, they had a really good season. They got one of the best coaches that led them to a national championship game and... I give credit to Iowa. They played really well. Caitlin Clark showed something extremely well throughout this play, uh, this run, and I think Iowa is in a pretty good spot heading into next year with with Clark being there. Uh, they came up short, but uh, I think overall it was a great game. It was a great game that had obviously a lot of good ratings, and like I said, the comments afterwards by people kind of talking about the gestures and things that were talked about. I mean, those things kind of happened within the game, but. Um, Competition kind of breathes that, and so I think you saw both teams with a lot of emotion. A lot, a lot of teams this this um, this tournament really showed a lot of emotion, a lot of, uh, of ability to play well under pressure and those kind of things. So I think this guy's the limit. I think um, hopefully we get, get to see more and more of some really good women college basketball March Madness action in the years to come, um, because you do want to see some of these other teams, you know, outside of South Carolina. Um, and UConn or Stanford are, you know, so kind of get into the mix and, and, and have a chance. So there's that. Now let me transition to the men's college basketball uh, final that took place last night. Um, and obviously this was a game in which, um, you know, it didn't really have probably the ideal matchup you wanted to see, you know, in terms of, a you know national championship game matchup, but we've seen it throughout the years that teams go on, on unlikely runs to win and get get to the March you know March Madness uh, final. And I gotta say, San Diego State, despite their loss here to UConn um, in the national title game, uh, San Diego State had a pretty good season. They were one of those teams that had uh, coming, coming from the West. They had obviously one of their best seasons in program history. Uh, they obviously pulled off an upset Alabama, the number one seed earlier in their run. Um, and they, you know, showed a lot. They had, um, they played for the most part pretty well, but UConn was better. UConn was better in every aspect. They had an answer for everything. And UConn now captures their fifth title in team history. And this is a pretty big moment for UConn um, because, you know, the past two years or so, you really didn't know what, what direction the program was going to go into, right? They had 
an era of uh, you know having um, you know Jim Calhoun and then Kevin Ollie uh, there, right? And for Dan Hurley, somebody who obviously had experience coaching several different spots throughout his career, you just wonder if he wasn't able to put, you know put it together. Uh, when he took up the job in 2018, it took a little bit of a while. UConn definitely recruited well. Uh, they got uh, some things kind of go their way, and they had an incredible run uh, to win this championship. You know, exceptional performances from all their players around. I mean, the, you just saw their size, and then kind of come together. And obviously, UConn winning it again, um, you know, it's, it's a good sign for the Big East. Obviously, the Big East has been been able to kind of weather through a lot of different conference changes and things like that. And for UConn to come out and play the way they did throughout this entire tournament where they, I think for the majority of the games they played this year, here in the March Madness, they won by a margin of 10 to 13 points. They were really just dominant, hit quality shots. You know, you kind of got into a rhythm and they never let go. And Dan Hurley now is a champion. Uh, well, certainly obviously coaching this team. Uh, you just saw a lot of good consistency from UConn. Uh, you saw some players step up, answer, answer the bell when needed. Um, and that's what you can ask for, you know, in terms of uh, being able to, you know, be on point. And, you know, UConn, like I said before, they're the most experienced team. Uh, in terms of, like, their, you know, the school itself obviously has been in this moment. And so they knew the pressure, they knew the expectations, and, I think Dan Hurley, obviously, the way he coached his team was tremendous. He obviously uh, recruited really, really well. And you, know, you saw them have their moments this season where they looked really dominant. They looked a bit off. But heading into the March Madness tournament, you knew they had a, they had a shot. And they got the best plays um, and the best scoring from some of their key players. Um, and, they, and the way their team is built up, they are uh, in good shape to possibly have a chance of repeating uh, next year, maybe we're making it back to the final eight or I said the lead eight, the final four of the you know men's March Madness tournament. But overall, I think you know you got you got what you expected from March Madness. You got a lot of unexpected uh, surprises, upsets, you know bracket busters, um, and you know out of all that chaos, you saw LSU and UConn come home uh, with the trophy. Um, so. Uh, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things develop now with these teams now kind of going into that, you know, off-season mode a little bit and the, the WNBA obviously uh, upon us. So, a lot to be excited for for in the game of college basketball. It's still as good um, as it's ever been. And I think that this year, the uh, the Women's March Madness Tournament really, really brought a lot of good needed attention and eyes and showcase how great of an athletes we, we see in the women's basketball game, you know, the competition and, the, uh, you know, the fierceness kind of picking up uh, overall. Uh, so overall, I think um, a lot more changes can be made probably in terms of like scheduling certain, you know, uh, you know the sites can be obviously modified in terms of like where they, you know, hold, hold the quarterfinals and championships the years to come. But uh I do think one thing that definitely will be under discussion for sure at some point, you know, is obviously making the, the, the game time for the March Madness men's tournament earlier than nine o'clock because I'm pretty sure most people were probably asleep 
by the time that was over, I probably was one of those people as well, but I kept score for a little bit. Uh, so hopefully they can kind of change all the times a little bit and we get to see a little bit more of um, a change in terms of like the time for some of these games because, you know, like nine o'clock plus a game afterwards, you know, the West Coast people, they obviously have, uh, there's a lot of, you know, attraction from there. So I, I think you just saw this year's game be played probably at this time just because of like what was at stake in terms of like San Diego State kind of being in the mix, but uh, I think going forward, I think you will see some changes take place um, in terms of the flexing and locations and timings for these uh, you know, championship games. Um, and it should be fun to see how that transpires. So with that, I want to now transition and talk about um, the uh, NFL draft a little bit. I want to focus on the wide receivers um, that will be, you know, in this year's draft. But there's obviously a handful of wide receivers that, um, you know, first round, second round, third round. Uh, every draft class is a little bit different. You know, there's been some really strong wide receiving um, classes throughout the years. And there have been some that have been a little bit questionable, but they kind of take time to kind of develop and that is something that, you know, will continue to kind of change in the NFL. And so, if you look at the wide receivers in this year's NFL draft class, I mean, obviously there's some really solid ones that have potential to be great. Look at last year's class. Obviously, Garrett Wilson was the king of the crop in terms of, like, what he was able to do in terms of performance. Olave was pretty good, you know. Um, you know, you had a few others. Um on Brian Blank on some of the other names. Um, but I guess Wilson and Olave kind of stood out, right? And then you have others that, you know, showed you know some promise. So I think all, you know, look at this this year's draft. There's a lot of teams that, believe it or not, after free agency still need up at a wide receiver. You know, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, their team that made me looking to get a wide receiver, you know, with all the turnover at the position, you know, they may be looking to get a wide receiver, um, you know, on their roster. So that's something in play that, you know, Andy Reid might have to consider. Um, and, you know, we'll see if he ends up doing that. Um, I do think that um, Texans need some wide receiving help as well. Uh, just because of who they have, a, you know, who they be having at a quarterback. I mean, it's widely expected the Texans will have, uh, you know, a quarterback under center. I don't believe all the rumors that they, that they won't have one. They will definitely select either, you know, Young or, or Stroud or Levis. And so I think the Texans are a team that would provide receiving help. The Packers might be in the mix as well because they want obviously. They've lost off the Alan Lazard, and you know there's no telling if Randall Cobb will be back uh, in Green Bay or not. It remains to be seen. You know, so you have Romeo Dove and Christian Watson, but is that good enough for the Packers? Um, that is something they have to kind of answer. You know, overall, so some of the wide receivers that uh, are going to be uh, talked about heading up to the draft. Uh, let me start with. Quentin Johnson of TCU. Uh, look at TCU, and 
obviously TCU had a promising run uh, to the national championship game. Uh, you know, last year obviously it didn't really end well, obviously for TCU um, in terms of like the overall game and score. But you know, you did see Quinton Johnson be a star for this team this past season, having over a thousand yards receiving and six touchdowns. Uh, he's someone that definitely has got. Uh, the overall physical abilities to be that that you know that difference maker at a wide receiver, you know, um, he's more of a solid deep threat. I think you, know, you also saw a lot of balls thrown his way. He can definitely get down the field and make those pinpoint high jump you know contested catches. As a route runner, he's gonna have to improve because he did go up against some of the defenses this year, um, which you know he wasn't able to get a whole lot of traction. So his route running has got to improve. Uh, but he's a nice, solid uh, wide receiver at, you know, with decent size that I think definitely would help a lot of teams. And he may be one of those wide receivers that goes off the board first. Uh, I think Pittsburgh is a spot where he might end up, you know, Pittsburgh definitely is going to have to try and see if they can address some of the depth around their team. Obviously, they don't have Claypool there. I think Deontay Johnson is still there. Uh, but the Steelers need some firepower at offense, and maybe he might be somebody the Steelers may consider um, in terms of, like, you know, adding a, a throw on the outside. Uh, Houston could be, in, uh, you know, a good spot for him as well, you know, where he could go and, you know, be able to be, like, the main point of a team that needs wide receiving help. And I think the Packers make sense as well for him as well, uh, for, you know, Quinton Johnston, because I think the Allen, you know, with connection out to Jordan Love and with Matt LaFleur trying to rebuild the tool, rebuild the offense a little bit around Jordan Love. Uh, you do want all the pass catching help that you can get if you want to be a competitive team, you know, this year, um, you know, this upcoming year in, in the NFC. So I think uh, those are some spots that Quentin Johnston or TCU could end up landing. Another top wide receiver, um, in this year's draft class is from USC. That's Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison um, is a pretty solid player. Uh, definitely excels in after-the-catch situations. Good hands overall. Um, his size is a little bit of an interesting you know, thing to kind of watch because, you know, you obviously want that six-foot, you know, one. But he uh, he's pretty close to that. I mean, he's 5'11". 173. Um, you know, he had a pretty good season um, with Caleb Williams. I think if he can stay healthy and be available, he could be. He could do a lot of good things. Uh, he de- definitely seems suited for a slot role uh, based on some of the tape that I've seen and the highlights I've seen of him. He can definitely do things, you know, with the ball in his hands, but he needs the ball in space and he needs to be able to kind of. Uh, have, you know, have a kind of set and go. So I think his route running is pretty solid. I think that's what he has the advantage over uh, Quentin Johnson is that his route running gives him the ability to kind of do some of the things you know, outside of being in the slots. I think he runs pretty solid routes. I think the key for him is obviously to be healthy. You know, can he kind of take the contested physical catches in the middle of the field? You know, because at the NFL game with the speed and with how you get hit over the middle sometimes by these linebackers, 
I think Addison definitely is going to have a lot to kind of work on in that aspect. But if he's able to, you know, stay stay within it, you know, play within his style, I think he could do a lot of good things. Uh, we've seen uh, a lot of USC wide receivers have success in terms of being able to kind of uh, learn the offenses, pick up certain problems. I think he, he could be a great fit. Uh, now, where he could end up remains to be seen. You know, there may be a few, there may be you know, two to four wide receivers that may go in the first round. You know, it could be more, but it, it may be uh, that kind of draft where, you know, it's more heavy on offensive tackles and defensive tackles and cornerbacks. The wide receivers may not go, may not go up to the board until, like, you know, until the first part of the draft is over. Um, but I think Addison would be a solid fit um, that, you know, if he's able to, you know, you know, get drafted um, in the first round, I think that would be a huge plus for him. But look at the some of the draft that these teams have. Uh, I think the Colts are a good spot for for Addison, possibly. You know, the Colts obviously are going to be looking for a quarterback in this year's draft. You know, you want to pair him up with a wide receiver uh, that you know can do some good things. And I think Addison can be a spot with the Colts having. I think a pick near the top of the second round. Addison could possibly be a second round, an early second round pick. Um, the Texans could be in the mix as well, you know, in terms of they want to be able to, you know, also address their, address their, you know, wide receiving room. Uh, Packers are, in course, I think, are, are a team that could be considered. Chiefs and the Giants, I think, are two teams that, you know, towards the end of the first round this year, they, they could be looking at. Addison, if he's able to stay on the board, I think those are some good spots where he could end up going um, and be, you know, a contributor from day one. Uh, then you got Zay Flowers from Boston College. Uh, Zay Flowers has got um, a five, I think he's 5'10", 172, kind of similar to um, Jordan Addison, but he's got a good amount of athleticism and explosiveness. You know, obviously played he played more throughout the four years compared to Jordan Addison, right? So from that standpoint, Zay Flowers could be someone that gets a lot of attention. Um, I guess you look at Zay Flowers for possible. The main thing is that yes, he didn't play probably the most elite competition all the time, but he got better every season. And so I think that that you know productivity is pretty good, um, and I think that you know he had a pretty solid senior year as well. So he's someone that could definitely get some attention as well. I think the Chargers um, would be interested. Seattle Seahawks are a good spot as well. They're trying to obviously they have Metcalf locked up and Lockett getting a little bit older. That could be a spot. Chargers make sense only because you know at some point you do want to be able to have another threat than Keenan Allen and Mike Williams if you, you know if you're Brandon Staley. So I think he would be a good fit there. And Zay Flowers has also been linked to the Giants and a lot of mock drafts. Uh, the Giants obviously have tried to address the wide receiving room. They've re-signed some players that we obviously are, are good, but you know you got to add a difference maker or two. Um, you know, if you're not going to acquire it via trade, you got to make it happen. And the Giants are not done yet with their wide receiving room. They definitely have to make some adjustments there. And Zay Flowers could be 
uh, potentially a good pick there um, if he is able to last that long. Uh, you got the Ohio State wide receiver and Jackson Smith Nigva. Um, you know, the thing for um, Jackson Smith Nigva is that he's a nice player, um, but the durability, durability factor is a concern. He hasn't played a whole lot. You know, um, but when he when he's been when he's been healthy, he's put together, you know, a solid uh, you know stretch of uh, a film. You know, the short passing game he excels in, um, but he could, um, but you know he he's got those traits similar to what Garrett Wilson has. The speed is there, uh, the quickness is there, and so I think the thing for Nick Jack Nigel is that he may not be a first round pick. Uh, but he could be somebody that teams look at and see that because of his size and because of how, you know, the success of Ohio State wide receivers has been. If he's developed the right way, we can kind of stay stay healthy. He could be a really good threat um, for some of these teams. And I think that um, he would be a good addition to some of these teams. Uh, I think the Falcons could be a team that definitely – Falcons are a team that definitely can also address the wide receiver spot as well. Uh, without having a whole lot there on the outside, they're going to have to uh, address that. So the Falcons could be a possible spot for him. The Cardinals uh, should be interested. And I think some of, these, some of these wide receivers that I've mentioned so far, because DeAndre Hopkins obviously has been, there's been reports about him wanting a trade, right? There's been reports about DeAndre wanting a trade or wanting out of Arizona. Um, Kyle Murray obviously isn't healthy. He won't. He may. He may not, may not be ready to start the season with ACL and rehabbing that. So, I think the Cardinals they shall be looking at some of these wide receivers as well. Um, you know because they they might need one. And then you know the Lions definitely have to you know should consider it as well um, because you know. They had a nice season last year with their talent. They want to kind of add to that. I think that would be a good spot to add some talent. Then the final wide receiver that I think has been talked about a lot um, is Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. Uh, Jalen Hyatt has been – he had a pretty uh, good season with Tennessee this year um, overall. You just saw – a lot of good film from him. You know, he's got the size and athleticism to be uh, pretty good uh, in overall terms of like being able to drive down to the field. Uh, he, I think he had 15 touchdowns last year. I think he had the most touchdowns of any wide receiver last year. So the productivity for Jalen Hyatt is there. He can go up and get the ball. He can make the catches. He's one of those wide receivers that has got a lot of upside to his game. And I think he may be one of them. He may be you know, in the conversation of one of the best wide receivers probably in this draft class because of his production, his ability to kind of stretch the field and make those plays. Um, he's someone that the Chiefs should definitely look at, you know, down the stretch. The Cardinals, the Colts. Um, I think that Jacksonville has to be, uh, should give him a look as well. You know, and then I think the Raiders uh, may need to also look at the wide receiving class as well a little bit in the second round um, because they do need to surround uh, you know Garoppolo or whoever it may be a quarterback but, you know Devontae Adams is obviously going to be there you want to 
you have under rent flow, yes, but you want to kind of add to that room because you know you don't have Darren Waller now. You need that production, um, you know, if you're those teams. So there's a little bit of my review on the wide receivers in this year's NFL draft. Um, I'll say I kind of can get to the running backs as well as some of the defensive linemen that have been talked about thus far in this year's upcoming draft. Uh, should be fun to get into. And where I'll kind of end things off today is talking about uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots and Mac Jones. Now, there's been a lot of rumblings in New England um, as obviously the Patriots are trying to see if they can kind of right their ways and get back to the postseason. Um, Mac Jones obviously had a great first year, second year not so much. Um, was a little bit down. Um, obviously, the plan that Bill Belichick had with having Matt Patricia call plays was a colossal failure. And so New England is kind of in an interesting spot this season. You know, they have tried to address their needs uh, in free agency. They signed, obviously, Mike Jaskeski, a tight end. Uh, they added, uh, you know, Julius Schuster. Um, they still have Devontae Parker there, I believe. So New England's trying to get back in the right direction with their team. You know, uh, it just kind of comes down to, you know, do they have, um, do they have enough because of their depth and their overall ability to kind of do things? You know, that kind of remains to be seen in terms of. Um, you know, where do they go from here? Because they had a defense, they had a defense for a number of years uh, that was rock solid. They could win with their defense, right, most of the time. And now, um, you don't really know what they have, right? You've seen Bill Belichick kind of maneuver things around. He's tried to uh, re-sign players or let go of players that need a second contract or so. Um, but it's true that, you know, teams have kind of caught up to New England a little bit. You know, the offense of, you know, offense of a lot of teams have gone up. So New England is in an interesting spot where they've, you know, they made some additions. You know, they try to do offensive line. Um, but do they have a, a difference maker at quarterback, right? Uh, Mac Jones, uh, in year three, is going to need to bounce back. And they obviously have tried to address that with getting Bill O'Brien back there now. You've seen Bill Belichick kind of talk about, you know, competition and talk about the best players competing for the, you know, for the position and things like that. So there's been a lot of rumors in New England in terms of, like, is Bill Belichick's style kind of getting old, right? Is it is it good enough with this current NFL, like, where we see the offenses really, you know, really have big numbers? And so the defense, the old saying, the old slogan of defense winning championships is always going to be there, you know, now, Bill Belichick is going to stay committed to that, um, but you know, at one point, do you, you know, change things up a little bit? And so, Mac Jones obviously sought advice reportedly, you know, outside of New England last year, um, and reportedly Bill Belichick was upset with that. There was rumors about him shopping around Mac Jones. We don't really know that all that's fully true yet because it's a story that kind of came out today, but. You know, New England hasn't had it easy since Tom Brady obviously departed. You know, they've 
gone to a new era where they, they made the playoffs the first year, second year missed out. And so Bill Belichick is someone who may not admit it or not. I mean, he's the greatest coach of all time, but some part of him wants to be able to go out winning another championship. And the only way he can really do that is if he can get a quality play from his from his offense and his defense. And his defense is always going to be a staple of his. That's solid. That's really good. But teams have caught up to that now. So it's not more than enough now that your defense is good enough to win, win your games. you got to have solid offense. And the Patriots have a lot of question marks at, you know, at quarterback with Jones and Zappi being there. I mean... There could be a lot going on in New England that may, you know, unfold before our eyes. And so, I don't know, because a lot of teams got better this offseason, right? The Jets got better. Dolphins got better. Uh, the Bills are kind of the same a little bit. Uh, the Dolphins are going to have a healthy Von Miller next year. But Patriots, you don't really know if their defense is going to be the same as it was last year. Uh, we lost some of that leadership that, that used to be there. Uh, it's more pressure on that offense to get it done. Uh, and they're, obviously they can run the football and play good defense, but it's not going to carry them into a long playoff run. So we're going to see if Mac Jones is up for it. He definitely has lasted fairly well. And I don't think he's, you know, he's an okay player. But you know, time will tell if the Patriots made the right move or not in terms of, like, deciding what they wanted to do, you know. Um, Bill Belichick's definitely going to be under the spotlight for that, no doubt, as this offseason continues on and heading into the Patriots' upcoming NFL season in 2023.